0: Can I ask you guys a question? It's a little bit of a personal question. What are you doing here? No, no, seriously, what are you doing here? I'm not being facetious. What are you doing here? Praise the Lord. Fantastic, thank you. Anybody else? To be with the Lord. Fellowship, good wine. Any, any other ones? Listening to God. Any other things? Needing help, that's good. Prayer. Donuts. You know what? I thought that might be the first one, but hey, that's cool. <laughs> Coffee. Reunion. Reu- Reunion. Reunion. I like that. That's good. Reunion and communion. Kids and youth work. Amazing. So many things, right? That's church. Love it. Absolutely love all that stuff. But you know, I'd venture to say that at its heart, if you were to drill down to the centre of all those things, what you really find—and we may not be able to articulate it in this way necessarily is a desire to meet with God. That's it, really. And some, a couple of you guys said that. When all that falls away, really it's about meeting with God. You know, uh, The Incredibles number two movie is coming out next week. Rather excited. Yeah, it's a great movie, hey? Steph and I are going to go. Might take the kids along as well. <laughs> they might like it. <laughs> but I love the first movie. You, you guys have seen it? There's a great scene, right, where <clears throat> you've got the little boy on the tricycle in the driveway. Uh, Mr. Incredible comes in his car, and uh, Mr. Incredible says to the little boy, what are you waiting for? And the little boy says, I don't know, something amazing, I guess. (laughs) And you know what? I'm like that little kid when I come here. I'm waiting for something amazing. I'm waiting for God to meet with us. Maybe you're like that little boy. There is something in you that wants, you know, we've been created to go, wow. We've been created to say, God, you're amazing. And when we're in this place, we should be like that little boy saying, we're waiting for you, Lord. You know, (laughs) God is calling us to be expectant this morning. To be in his presence, to experience his touch, to taste and see that the Lord is good. As the psalmist says, You know, as we pour ourselves out in worship, why? Because we love him, and we want to experience something of heaven in this place, as we sang earlier. You know, as we pray for each other, for our needs, that God would come and heal miraculously. That's why we're here. We want to see that. We want to see something amazing. Otherwise, what's the point? Let's go home. We want to see signs and wonders. We want to see revival fire come down. That is what God is working in us. And you know, let me just say this, the sooner we realise that God is waiting for us to respond, to cry out, to seek his face, to position ourselves for him, the sooner he is going to move in power. You know, we need to be expectant. And that is the whole point of this series, different. It's a series about positioning ourselves for him to be set apart for him. You know, for those of you who here on the first week when I kicked this off a few weeks ago, you know, when Chris had asked me to put a series together, I, I kind of just, I knew in my heart what I wanted to say and, I, and I'd felt a while ago, you know, I was reading Revelation 3.8 and it was one of the letters to the churches, the letter to the lady you see in church and um, God said, you know, you're, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, I, I wish you're either one. <laughs> And in that moment, I just felt, and this was a few months ago, that God was saying, Mark, I want you to be hot. Now's not the time to shrink back, because if you're not moving forward, you're shrinking back. And I felt this burning on my heart that God was saying to us, his people, I want you to burn for me. Why? Because I have something amazing for you. I want you to position yourself to receive from me. And that's the whole point of this series. And, you know, we looked on the first week, At the definition of holiness and we looked at Leviticus 26 12 and indeed the the writer to the Hebrews quotes it in chapter 8 verse 10 it says I will be your God and you will be my people that's what it means to be set apart but let me ask you a question why it might seem like a silly question and maybe there's an obvious answer but why did God set apart a people for himself The answer is at the start of Leviticus 26.12, it says this. Are you ready? I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. That is why God wants us to be set apart for him, so that he would walk amongst us. Let me ask you another question. What did God do with Adam before the fall? Adam and Eve. Well, we know the answer because if you read Genesis 3.8, Adam and Eve are just... Fallen and eaten the apple. And what happens? We read that God went walking in the garden in the call of the day. But Adam and Eve was not there. You see, before the fall, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And so the whole point of being set apart for him, being holy, is that once again, he would walk amongst us. It's part of God's rescue plan and restoration that as we believe in Jesus for the work of the cross, that he saved us, that we can once again walk. And you know what I love about this story? It just struck me this week for the first time. God knew that Adam and Eve fell, but he still went to the garden to walk with them. God didn't say, I'm not going to walk with them, they've sinned. Adam and Eve were the ones that ran away. Why? Because of the fruit of sin was shame and guilt. And that is the heart of the Father, that even now he's saying, I am waiting to walk with you. Will you position yourself for me? What a Father, what a God. And so this this week, as I wrap up this series, and as I've been spending time saying, Lord, what have you got for us? What what area do you want to show us to be different? And you know, Richard and Denise have done a fantastic job these past few weeks looking at areas that we're called to be different. You know, in who we put our hope in, in God, in how we respond to trials and tribulations and how we act, not react as we serve others. Richard did that last week and they've been great. But here for the last week, God is asking me to speak on an area which um, God is challenging us corporately, collectively. You see, it's something which you cannot do in isolation. It requires the whole body of us to participate in and it requires a commitment together as a church. Anyone know what this might be? Unity. Unity. That is what God is calling us. And you know, it's interesting, isn't it? With uh, this theme of unity, watching the match yesterday, one of the pundits declared that the nation has been united under Gareth Southgate. There you go. But he's done a great job, hasn't he? It's great seeing those boys doing what they're doing. And we've got almost like a taste of unity, haven't we? The nation is like in harmony. We're loving it. So it's a very interesting time to be talking on unity. And as I've spent time meditating on this and saying, Lord, what do you want to show us? I felt the Lord impress upon me and say to me this, the degree to which we are united under Christ is the degree to which he will manifest himself with us. Shall I say that again? Listen to this, grab hold of this. The degree to which we are united under Christ is the degree to which he will manifest himself with us. And we will see this play out in the word and we're going to look at this in a moment. You know, we want more power in this place. Unity. We want to see healings and the miraculous. Unity. We want to see such a move of the spirit that we've only read about that will define this generation. Unity. God is requiring of us in a year of new beginnings to walk in a new level and a new beginning of unity. God is saying, you will be my people, all of you united together under Christ and I will be your God and I am going to walk with you like you've never seen before. So with that introduction, let's get into the meat of it and we're going to look at three things. First of all, I want to unpack what unity is, God intended unity. Second of all, why unity is important and indeed I've touched on some of that already. And lastly, and here it is, how can we have unity? How can we walk in it? So let us look at unity. Let's ask the first question. Well, the dictionary definition is this, the state of being united or joined as a whole. You see, of course, this unity thing is not just a Christian thing, right? We have unity in non-Christian circles. We have peace accords, government cross-body groups, intranational bodies, you know, we've got NATO and Europe and and all these kind of places. And unity is around what? A cause or an aim or or an objective? But here's the thing I want us to know this morning. The thing about unity is that there is a God's version of unity, how he intended, and the world's version of unity. Both are the same. Sorry, both seem the same. (laughs) You Picked up on that, thank you. But they are different. They require of us different things. You know, we are called to be different to the world, and so we are called to be different in how we are united under God, and that's what we're going to look at. Now, what I want to do, therefore, to paint a bit of a broad picture, a bit of a broad brushstroke, is look at some examples in the Bible of of worldly-based unity and what God intends for us to be unified under him. And we're going to look in, in the Old Testament for a couple of worldly examples. You know, I've been struck recently as I've looked around the world and just seen what's happening. You know, Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 9, the writer says that there is nothing new under the sun. In other words, if you want to understand man and humankind's condition, you'll find it all in here. You don't need to look and study the contemporary world to understand what's happening, because nothing is new as under the sun. You'll find it all in here, and so that's why I want to use a couple of examples from the Old Testament. And the first one, if you want to turn with me, is Genesis 11. It's the Tower of Babel. I'm sure we all know this story. I'm sure we've all taught it at Sunday school if you went there. And we're going to look at verse 3, and I'll read it together, and let's see what he said. They said to each other, come, come. Let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Listen to this so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. What do we see here? We see a picture of unity. What under a purpose? What is that purpose? To make a name for themselves. And we see this in the modern world. This was an objective, was a self-serving, self-focusing, self-centered objective which brought about unity. Unity around the objective can be seen across the world, can't it? You know, nations coming together under the banner of unity, bonded not by sacrifice, but but for their own interests. Let me just say at this point, I'm not trying to make a political commentary or critique on how we operate as a world. You know, we've got the United um, EU, we've got NATO, etc., etc. We are called to, to have bonds of peace and to strive for unity. But what I'm trying to tell you here is that all of this worldly unity is always temporary. It's not perfect. So what happened to Babel? He got smashed. You know, I love, this is really interesting, you know, it says here, they want to make a name for ourselves, and it says this, otherwise we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Well, the, that's exactly what happened. It's very interesting that. Why? Because there was a curse put upon them as they did that, and they rebuked God. You know, we've seen throughout history, empires, seemingly unified, smashed apart. Selfish ambition, that kind of unity will never last. What else can we see? Israelites on the golden calf. Do we know this story? Exodus 32. Why don't we look at that together? I think it's on the screen. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, who was the kind of priest, and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, you know, once upon a time, he was their trusted leader. Now he's some fellow. It shows where their hearts were at. Who brought us out of Egypt? We don't know what has happened to him. And what happened? Aaron instructed them to get all that gold jewelry and they melted it and create their calf. And all of a sudden, it seemed as if there was unity in the camp of Israel. That singing, that dancing around that God, small g. What were they unified under? Something they had fashioned for them to worship. And don't we see this in the world today? Unity around a person, a celebrity, a party, a sports team. Go England. You know, we were created to worship God. We were created for God to lead us. And if God isn't there in our hearts, we will worship something else. There is a human requirement. We've been wired this way. We will worship something else. And I'm not saying we shouldn't cheer England. We absolutely should. What I'm trying to demonstrate here is that unity will always be temporary. Listen, if that wasn't the case, then we'd still be united since 1966, Fair point? So enjoy it while it lasts, because it won't be like this forever. It only takes for, you know, a few uh, bad games and then the presser, uh, well, you know what happens in this country. You know, it even happens in the church. Church is united, not under Christ, but under a leader. And then the leader has a fall or leaves and all of a sudden the church falls apart. It happens. And so what happened here? The calf got ground to powder you see worldly unity around self-serving objectives and or a desire to worship something other than God that kind of unity will never last. But there is some good news. There is a unity that will. Ephesians 1:10 Paul says this, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, when Jesus comes again, what? To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That is where it's heading. That is the kind of unity that will come. And we know that God's kingdom is breaking in now. So what does that mean? We can have this type of unity now. We are called to be different. We are called to have a unity unlike the world, but which God intended. And that's what we're going to look at now. So if that's worldly unity, what marks out godly unity? Well, let's look at the story of Jericho. You know the story when the Israelites march around Jericho? Joshua 6. And what happens, you know, God says, listen, I want you to march around Jericho six times, one time every, every day for six days. And on the seventh day, seventh times. And then when the trumpets are blared by the, the, the worship leaders, the priests, and that was interesting what Lissy said earlier, you know, she was right. You know, it was, it was the, the worship guys that went out ahead to claim the victory. Then everyone have a united shout. And what happened? Power came. The walls came tumbling down. See, that is the fruit of unity, by the way. Now, if that was me, and they said, you've got to do that, I'd be like, oh, man, you serious? Let me just get this right. Once, six days, that doesn't make any sense to me. Not only does it not make any sense to me, but that sounds tiring. It's hot and sweaty. We are in the desert. And, you know, I'd be like, well, that doesn't serve my purpose. I'll tell you what unity is, guys. You go and do that, and I'll support you. <laughs> but God required them to all do it. I think that's kind of Interesting. So you see, unity in this example was not self-serving. It was God-led. There was sacrifice required. But what happened when they sacrificed and they were united under God? Power came. What about the church in Acts? A New Testament example. Jesus is going to go back up to heaven and he says to his disciples, now listen, don't leave Jerusalem until I send you the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Now, let me be honest with you. I know you're more holy than I am. You're different than I am. But if that was me, I'd be like, okay, great. Listen, guys, we've got time on our side. Let's go and watch The Incredibles. You know, Let's go and watch a movie. And then after we've done that, we'll go to the beach. Because the reality is when God wants to move, he'll move. So. But what do these guys do? They all went together in unity and prayed and waited in prayer. I'd be like, that's too much hard work. This is the kind of amazing sacrifice that God is requiring of us. He said, go and wait. And so what did they do? They prayed. I love that. And what happened? Power came. The Holy Spirit anointed them of tongues of fire. You know, Acts 4.32 says this, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, unity. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they all had things common. There was a sense of unity and God moved through the church in Acts, and there were signs and wonders. And so I want to give these examples to show that the unity that God is requiring of us in this place and in our lives is not self-serving. It's self-sacrificing. It's not unity under worshipping somebody else, even a leader, even a church leader, even some great person. It's unity under Christ and Christ alone. You see that? And you know what? Paul does a great job. We're going to turn together Philippians 2, verses 1 and 4 to kind of expand that a bit. And we're going to do a mini exposition on, on that. Can you turn with me? Um, Philippians 2, 1 to 4. I'm going to read that. If I can find it. Here we go. This is what Paul says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, interesting that, isn't it? Encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... In other words, if you have experienced Christ and his redemptive saving power in your love, in your life, if you've received the compassion and the mercy of Christ, if you've received his love, then do this. Then make my joy complete by being what? Like-minded. Having the same love, being of one in spirit and of one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And let's unpack this together. Let's look at the first piece the same love. In other words, love each other as Christ has loved you, whether you feel like it or not. Oh, really? Christ loved us while we were enemies, by the way. It's a high bar, guys, but that's what it means to be different. It's not a love which is dependent on your emotions, on your feelings. It's fashioned out of a commitment to put others before yourself. And by the way, can I tell you something? It's not like I've got this. I mean, I know what God's required of me, but I find it really difficult. Especially when the kids come in early in the morning, and I'm sleeping, like, Daddy, Daddy, you want to play with you and do this? I'm like, oh, please. <laughs> Help me, Lord, to demonstrate your love right now. And listen, I don't need to be prophetic to know that in a church of 1,200 people, it's difficult. We're all different. But that's the high bar that God's calling us to. If we want to see his power in this place, guys, love one another. Amen. If you want to see something amazing, love one another. If you want to go wow, love one another. Galatians 6.10, so then as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And we'll look at why that's important in a moment. You know, the great Charles Spurgeon, you know, the preacher in the Victorian age said this, unless I can leave off loving Jesus Christ, I cannot cease loving those who love him. Unless I can leave off loving Jesus Christ, I cannot cease loving those who love him. Why? It is only the love of Christ in us that can be expressed through us. It is only the love of Christ in us that can be expressed through us in the way in which God is calling us to love. What else? Being one in spirit, it says. What's that mean? Well, it's it's spirit with a small uh, S, not a capital S. One in purpose, one in our affections and our desire. In harmony, in pursuit of the end game. You know, in this example, and, and in fact here, it should be a desire for God to be lifted up, to be exalted, to be glorified in all things. That is the chief end aim of man, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And lastly, it says this: of one mind. What does that mean? Agreement. You know, it's interesting with the story of Jericho, right? Imagine if God had said that, and then you had some people say, well, hold on. He didn't, no, no, no. He didn't say six days and then seventh. He said seventh and then eighth. No, 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 no. He said six and seven. Okay, well, you guys go and form the church of the seven and the eight days and we'll form the church of the six and the seven days. We're going, Are you right? we'll leave. You. What would happen? Nothing. Listen, I've got to say, this phrase, agree to disagree. You know what? That's, that's fine as we operate in our lives and we seek to have peace with others. It's, you know, we've got to be wise about things. But i tell you something. What God is calling us is a higher bar and he's saying there cannot be place for disagreement in his truth. Paul says this, that pastors and teachers are to equip the saints, listen to this, Ephesians 4.13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Why do you think we're up here? We're here to proclaim and preach the truth of God so that we can live our lives in his truth. That is why this word is so important for your everyday life. Well, I don't agree with that. It doesn't feel right. Well, have you checked it out in the Bible? No, I don't need to. Sorry if I'm making you a little bit hot under the collar, but I feel it. I've got so many pre- preconceptions about things and thoughts, and someone says something like that. I don't agree with that. It's fine, but don't worry. We'll agree to disagree, and feel the Holy Spirit prompt and Say, Mark, you know they're right. You've got to. And so I, I encourage all of us to seek out His truth, because actually God is requiring us to agree. Philippians two. I find this really fascinating and we can often miss these kind of things out but Paul says, I entreat Yudi and I entreat Cynthia to agree in the Lord. I entreat us to agree together in the Lord. It's important. Otherwise, we're not all going to go and walk around Jericho the amount of times God is requiring us to do and we will miss out on the power that comes. Okay, let's move on then. We've looked at the same love, love. Love one another as Christ loved you. Being one in spirit and in purpose. Well, I don't agree with that faith too. It doesn't work for me. Being of one mind. We agree with God's truth and what he's saying and calling us to live our lives. You know, God is calling us to be different in this place. Let's be different together. That's the only way. So let look, look at why it's important. Three reasons. Firstly, that God will be glorified. Romans 15, 5, 7, 6, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live, listen, in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God Guys, that is why we're here. You know why that's God presences himself with us? Yes, we are blessed. Yes, he pours his spirit upon us. Yes, he heals us. Yes, he transforms us. And he wants to and he loves to. But with that comes the fact that he will glorify his name. God says, I will glorify my name. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. My name will be glorified through Jesus. Second one, that others may see God. In other words, we are called to be a witness to God by the way we live our lives and the way we are in this place. John 13, 34 to 35 says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, listen, all people, and I'm gonna add some brackets in here, in St. Albans and the region and the country and God willing, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you have a heart to love God and to glorify his name, then my prayer is that we would love one another so that we can be true witnesses to who he is. Because the world will look at us and say, how on earth do they love each other in the way they do? The way they sacrifice for each other. The way those volunteers yesterday with the, with the movie thing, bless you guys. What were you demonstrating to the world? Sacrifice. How is it there's a bunch of different people from different walks of life can come in agreement and be in one mind? It can only be something like a God what is going on at that place called St. Albans? The vineyard, what's happening there? They love each other in such a radical way. There must be something other than themselves. Yes, Jesus. Wow, and the third one. And we to be honest with you, this is where I started. So it won't be a surprise to you for God to position us to receive his power and to be positioned. For his anointing. Let me turn with you all. One Psalm 133. Can we turn there? If you've got your Bibles or your smartphone. Psalm 133. <clears throat> Bear with me. <laughs> Some of you are much quicker than I am. Good job. Here we go. Three verses. Are you Ready? How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in. What is it like, guys? Should we read what it's like? It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard of Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. That's what unity is like. Now, let's unpack this because there's a whole lot of truth in here. You see, what does the oil represent? This is not petroleum. This is olive oil, and if you read in Leviticus 8.30, olive oil was used to consecrate the priests. Now listen, watch this. Aaron was a priest, right? And what we see here is the oil symbolising the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now more than 200 times in the Bible when oil is mentioned, it is used as a metaphor of the Holy Spirit's presence, anointing prophets, priests, and kings. You know, when Samuel anointed David with oil to be the new king of Israel, the very next statement was this. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Unity brings an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us. Can I just say, there is a difference between the Holy Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit being poured upon us. There's a whole other talk there. But if we want to walk in power and be positioned for the miraculous, then we need the the pouring of the Holy Spirit upon us. And so as we unite together under Christ, as we are united, then we are anointed. That his power is poured upon us. Can I invite the band up? That sounds amazing, right? And I hope that... You felt challenged, but if I were to stop at this point, I'd do you guys a disservice. Because, quite frankly, the burden of trying to live this way is too much for us. But we know that the yoke is easy, and his burden is light. The very answer to unity is Jesus. You know, some of you heard A.W. Tozer. Uh, 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 He was a pastor in Chicago in the 20th century. Written a few books. Have you heard of The Pursuit of God? Great book, yeah, a few... I'd encourage you to read it. You know, it's not a long book, but it is, it is wonderful, and there's some truth in there. But anyway, A.W. Tozo, on talking about unity, used an example about pianos. He said, imagine if you have 100 pianos in a room, and you tried tuning them against each other. It would sound like bedlam. But if you got one tuning fork, and tuned each piano to the tuning fork, there'd be unity and harmony. Of course, that tuning fork is Jesus. And listen, I play the piano, I've seen pianos being tuned, I wish I could tune them, it's, it's a fantastic thing. But when you watch the tuner, the way they work the strings, tension and tightening. <laughs> if we're the piano, we can't tune ourselves. Who's the piano tuner? The Holy Spirit. You See this? And so if we wanna be united under Christ, we need to say, Holy Spirit, would you have your way in my life? Would you conform me to the likeness of Jesus? And it might feel like it's tough, It might feel like there's certain areas in our lives that he's tightening, certain areas in our lives that he's loosening, but in all of that he's doing so that we would be harmonious and resonate with the very voice of Jesus. I want to resonate with Jesus. I want to be in unity with him because when God works in you and you look around, you find that we're united under Jesus and we can love each other like he calls us to be. We can have one spirit. We can be of one mind. And we find that as we are united and as we seek him and say, Lord, we're expectant for an outpouring of your spirit to say, wow, that's amazing. He pours his spirit upon us in abundant measure. Amen. I'd like to stand. Jesus. I just want to end this with a story and circle back to week one as I end. The Moravians... As I mentioned, the 100-year prayer meeting, it wasn't always like that for them. During their first five years, they showed signs of lack of spiritual power. You know, at that point, there were 300 people, but they were racked with dissension and bickering. But if you read it, and I haven't got time to go into the detail, when they focused on Jesus' word and on prayer, and they put their differences aside, and as they agreed, <laughs> revival came you read what happened it's an amazing story and my heart for us for this people is that God is calling us to be different because he has something greater God is calling us to be united under him so that we position ourselves for an outpouring of the spirit I said that on the first week that God is about to pour out his spirit in a way in which you've never seen before and I say that prophetically and in the spirit not because I like making stuff up and looking like a fool up here although Lord God if you want to use me as a fool I'm fine but because the spirit of the Lord is speaking to our hearts right now and he's saying I've got more for you but I want you to be positioned to receive do you want to be positioned to receive this morning? Yes come Holy Spirit I just want you to put your hands in your heart now and I'm going to pray that God would tune us to his tuning fork that he would conform us to him and Oh, come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you come. Oh, come, Lord. You know, for some of you, the word reconciliation comes to mind. I said before, I don't need to be prophetic to know that in a, a church of 1,200, there's probably disagreements, hurts, and pains. Listen, I, I, I want to say in love, saying forgive. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not trying to diminish the arguments or the issues you've had. But what I'm saying now is just forgive like we are called. Why? Because we have received the forgiveness of Christ. Yes, it's self-sacrificing. Yes, it feels painful. But we see the fruit of that. And so if that's you, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you pour your spirit upon those people that know they need to be reconciled in this place? Lord, no longer disunity, no longer bickering, no longer arguments, no longer all of these things but unity in this place pour a spirit of reconciliation in this place Lord I pray and for those of us Lord that are saying yes we want to be tuned to you I pray Lord for an outpouring of your spirit come Holy Spirit Holy Spirit would you tune us to Christ now please Lord where we become flat sharpen us where we've been sharp in the wrong direction. Bring us to your conformity, Lord. Lord, as you prompt us to those areas in our lives that we need to leave behind, give us the strength to do so, Lord, in your name.